Um, so if you're non-technical, I would say find someone technical. It's going to make your life a lot easier and extends your runway significantly. Um, as in like you could probably work for 10 years um, and never run out of money if you guys both lived in a basement and ate ramen. And if you are technical, then I would say the best co-founders to find are either like in marketing or in design because then with design, you get the product out. And with marketing, like it's kind of proven that if people want the product, they're willing to go through like bad UX, bad UI. As my success has increased, I become more confident and people definitely think I have turned like into an arrogant asshole. Um, maybe I have like on my internet persona because I just like obviously give no fucks anymore. But yeah. I do think that like I'm a pretty friendly person. Welcome to the Generation Hustle podcast, the show where we share the amazing journeys of founders, investors, and operators disrupting the tech scene. I'm your host, Amin, and this is the first episode on the road to 100 as we celebrate nearing 100 episodes. In this episode, you'll learn how to hire a talent at an early stage startup, how staying authentic to yourself eventually creates a unique value, and open thoughts around the world of AI. On episode 97, we have Lucy Guo. She is a visionary entrepreneur, an advocate for AI-driven solutions, and the co-founder of Scale AI and founder of Passes. Lucy's passion for entrepreneurship started at a young age when she quickly learned how to make money through ads, eventually joining multiple hackathons where she got hooked on building. She has been featured in numerous publications, including Forbes and TechCrunch, and has been recognized as one of Forbes' top 30 under 30. So let's jump right in. Welcome back, everyone. The Road to 100 continues, and today we have Lucy. You are co-founder at Scale AI and now CEO of Passes. How's it going? Um, it's going really well. It's been a wild few years. Uh, I feel like I've learned a lot from like all my different roles. Um, in between Scale and Passes, I went into venture for a little bit. You could say I'm still investing in early stage startups. So, um, yeah, gained a lot of knowledge. It's been a roller coaster. Yeah, and I can definitely say you've had that wild journey. So from Snap's first female designer to a steel fellow to obviously building and helping build a scale AI, you've done it all, perhaps in tech, and most people would kill to have your resume. So maybe if you can, how'd you get started in the whole startup space in the tech world? So I definitely got started early on. Um, I had really strict Asian parents. um, They realized the best way to punish me was take my money away. So I figured out how to make money on the internet, uh, made a PayPal account, and then um, just started building things. So I created like little scripts, was like hacking in-game items on Neopets, RuneScape, et cetera, wow. selling them, started creating websites, um, threw on like AdSense and other sorts of ads um, on the website to get money um, and was really hustling young. But I didn't really discover the startup community until my senior year of college. I mean, my senior year of high school. Um, when, um, I got invited to this like hacker house called Rainbow Mansion and that's when I got introduced to a TL fellowship and then went to a TL summit and was like, whoa, startups are a thing. This exists. And then, um, ended up going to college studying CS and HCI at Carnegie Mellon and, um, got really addicted to hackathons. Um, I'm very competitive and I love winning things. Um, so there was just like a perfect environment for me. And I kind of learned the secret to win things, which was like, just make things pretty so um, I self-taught myself design and I didn't even have enough classes to qualify for the HCI program, but I just submitted my like design portfolio and then they let me in accidentally, like literally accidentally. I got called in later going like, you don't actually have the requirements for this program. And I was like, oh, but like you already accepted these. No, yeah. that's, that's so cool. I think one of the things I actually love to kind of understand, because uh, obviously I come from an immigrant background as well. You kind of going your own, building your own path and making your own money. Do your parents ever kind of say, like, how is she doing this? Like, is this the right way? Like, once you bring in that money, do, is it that kind of sense of validation that you get? Because in my, uh, at least in my household, the career paths were a lawyer, doctor, yeah. and like very typical, you know, structured things. Like for you, was it kind of the same? Yeah, so my parents were actually really upset that I was on the internet wasting time talking to strangers, figuring out PHP, HTML, CSS, yeah, yeah, yeah. JavaScript. They were like, why are you doing this? This is a waste of time. It's not safe to talk to strangers. They had actually installed a keylogger on my computer to prevent me from doing it. Um, and I would get in trouble every time I would like speak to a stranger. I eventually figured out how to get the keylogger off, but it was like really, really annoying. Um, 
I don't think they really understood like the power of entrepreneurship until I went to like I had success, I guess, like raised a series A. Uh, I think a lot of this is the fact they are risk averse. Like, although they took a big risk to come to America, um, they gave up everything, really. But education gave them everything they had in life. So when I decided to, like, forego education for everything and even just, like, learning to code when I was younger to them, I was not focused on, like, what mattered, which was school. So uh, they thought that I was giving up my education back then, especially when I dropped out. Um, such they were like, she, we, we immigrated to America for nothing. It was like kind of right. their mentality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I feel you. And any advice for, say, younger folks of immigrant backgrounds that battle with this kind of uh, with their parents on a day to day basis, knowing what you know now, what would you say to them? Yeah, I think I would say that your parents just don't really understand the path you're taking. Um, and once you're successful, they will. But right now, like, even if they seem against the path that you are taking, uh, just know that they're doing it out of love. Uh, they don't understand the path and they really just want what's best for you. Uh, and for them, I can imagine that them not listening, like, especially immigrants, I think that, like, the culture is very much so, like, you respect your elders. If you don't respect your elders, it's almost a sign that you don't love them. And it's not, like, a concept they grasp of that, like, disobeyment, that independence, et cetera that America has. Yeah. But no, they will totally. eventually forgive you and love you back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I reflect on that a little bit today. Like my parents still don't know like what I do in tech. Um, oh. I just say I work in tech. Uh, they still think I'm a traditional accountant for a tech company, Interesting. Uh, but I don't do any of that. Um, yeah. This whole podcast thing, they have no recognition what, what this is. But at the end of the day, they do see me being a lot more happier, kind of the path I chose. So I'm 29 now. Now reflecting back on this, they're like, okay, he figured himself out. It's not like what he want, what we in, like kind of instilled in him. But as long as he's happy, as long as he's doing his thing, mm -hmm. it seems like he's doing all right. So um, moving on to maybe just the pathway in terms of how you've kind of executed and designed some of your ideas and work. I'm genuinely, genuinely curious of like, if you have a framework and or best practice that you follow, because I feel like most people struggle with just the learning part and effectively applying those learnings to anything that they want to build out. Yeah, I think my process is generally, I really think about what the minimum viable product is. And I think most minimum viable products can be built off a of Google form or Airtable. Um, so like a simple example is like, let's say you wanted to make a matchmaking app. You don't really need to make a full on app to do a matchmaking app. Like you literally just collect names, information on Google form, manually matchmake yourself, contact each person individually. I mean, like you've been matchmade. And then if it goes well, you're like, OK, cool. Like the retention is high or people are having success. I have something here. Um, now I can go and make an app out of it. Uh, so my philosophy has always been test the minimum viable product and really think if there is a no code solution and the solution is to code, like try to make it as simple as possible to test whether there is demand for the idea. So this can literally be like throwing up a landing page for like a B2B software and then going out and emailing customers and selling to them and then collecting a letter of intent. Um, get like millions of dollars worth of letter of intent, evaluate if the market is large enough and boom, you kind of have a company right there. So this is the approach I've taken with pretty much everything and something took like more than three days to make essentially. Yeah. Where um, with scale, I knew API for humans would just go viral and it was a really simple API. Like um, it would just ping Twilio, which would call me and then it would ask, I, I would manually send a call back to the user. Um, and then with ClassPass for clubbing, I mean, like, that's just easy, right? Like, it's a page, you subscribe, you see things, you click book, and then we go manually book or guest list you. Like, very simple. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which we probably didn't even need to code anything to do, to be honest. Uh, like, pretty much all my apps have been like that. Um, I think there's a very few cases where the MVP is more complicated. So one example mm -hmm. is, like, superhuman. You can't right. test superhuman without superhuman actually being in front of you and you using it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that totally makes sense. And I think I reflect on one of the conversations I've had, uh, uh my friend, uh, from Rudder, um, Peter, uh, he's a the founder there and he, he's always talking about sell before you build. And it's mm -hmm. basically the same concept of like, yeah. don't go out there, build this whole full solution and then try to figure things out and try to sell. Uh, it's do the reverse, like to your point, like build small things first, uh, bare minimum, and then validate the idea from there. So I totally agree with you on that. Um, throughout this journey that you've had, um, 
what role has confidence played in your success? Um, and the point of view I want to really understand is um, from the female's perspective, because there's a lot of individuals that shy away from an opportunity mm -hmm. in tech. So how's that role of confidence played in your success? Yeah, so I think it's played really everything in my success. Um, I've like gone after roles that I wasn't qualified for, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but because people saw how confident I was, they were willing to give a chance on me. But I also think when founding a startup, you have to be overly confident. Like you essentially have to be insane to found a startup. The reason being that when you are starting a company, you're kind of betting on yourself to be one of the few founders in the entire world to like build a unicorn or even a lifestyle business. Like think about how many people start lifestyle businesses that are making like seven, eight figures a year. Not that many. Um, and you're giving up your entire life. You're risking a lot to do it. So um, you need extreme confidence. Like anyone that isn't batshit insane, essentially, like not extremely confident probably won't make it the reason being that there is going to be like a rough patch within like the company that you're building because all companies do have rough patches and when you hit that rough patch um if you're extremely confident slash insane like you're just going to think you can get over it if you're not you're more likely to give up and i genuinely i genuinely like i generally think um the founders that end up the most successful are the ones that are just persistent um like a lot of ideas might be bad ideas, but if you have the runway, which is why I invest in engineers mostly, and you just keep trying, like eventually you land on an idea. And I think like the honey founders are a very good example of this. Got it. Got it. And do you feel like confidence is like you're born with it or is this something that you can develop and train yourself to have? Yeah, I used to be a really, really insecure person. I think it literally happened when I went to Carnegie Mellon. And I was always the nerd in school, like not cool, not pretty, whatever. Um, and then I went to CMU and suddenly I was a cool kid because I was like oh, one wow, of okay. like a few girls in the CS program. Our CS program was uh, school. I think it was like 100 per right. year. So I computer science and I wasn't like bad looking. So suddenly I went from like being the nerdiest kid in school to being the coolest kid in school. And like when you have external validation from everyone, I do think it helps your insecurities a bit. And then as I continued growing, I just like really learned to stop caring about what people thought about me. And um, maybe this is just like me, like how I was raised growing up. But um, like confidence is very much so tied to like intelligence and success and likability. Um, and I like I've always been likable, I'd say, because I'm like very friendly, very bubbly. Like I'm just a nice person to people. Yeah. Um, but like, I think that like people stopped caring about how I look. They were like, maybe I like started looking better. I don't know. But then like as my professional successes added up, um, that really helped my confidence too. Because growing up, my parents were always like, you can't do this. You're dumb. Like you're stupid, et cetera. Um, a lot because like my little brother's a genius. So oh. uh, <laughs> getting these successes, uh, like several successes, I guess, like starting from college, um, especially the hackathons really helped where I'm like, wow, I'm not an idiot. Like my parents told me I was. That's, yeah. that's super interesting. And I think just going back to your idea of just like understanding uh, and kind of getting that those reps in uh, eventually mm -hmm. gave you that level of confidence saying like, I know how to do this. I've done it before and I know I can implement it in the future. And so speaking of which, let's actually switch gears into actually how Scale AI started now. So you've graduated. No, it didn't. I think it was your third year that you started building it out, right? Uh, Scale yeah, so, AI. No, um, Scale AI actually started a while I was at Snap, essentially. So we oh, were already Snap, working sorry, on okay. projects. Uh, we were working on several different projects. And then uh, I was in an Uber car. And this is just like literally you can create your own luck almost. Uh, but I like every conversation I was having, I was just talking about startups to see like really anything. And my Uber driver was like, oh, you should look up Paige Craig. He follows you on Twitter. Um, or like, you should look him up because he um, created like the term Silicon Beach. So I went on um, his Twitter, um, looked him up, and I saw he was already following me. So I slid into his DMs and was like, hey, I'm thinking about doing a startup. Like, can we chat? Um, and after a few conversations, he offered me like a million dollars. Um, I actually only wanted a $100,000 investment, but at the same time, I had gotten into Y Combinator. So that was kind of the start. Um, we entered YC with a different idea, which is called Ava. Um, it was a healthcare app. And one day we were just like really frustrated calling doctors all the time because um, you would press a button and like we would have to book an appointment for you. Yeah. And uh, our roommate was like, oh, like you should make an API for humans. And after I, I had previously launched a bunch of products on Product Hunt that like hit homepage like you know top three or whatever so I was like that's controversial I knew that would get like to the top of product hunt 
So um, like that weekend, we threw up a landing page with our shitty API and launched it on Product Hunt. And um, honestly, at that point in time, I'd also created a Pokemon Go map with a friend. That oh, really? Wow. In a week. So YC wanted us to work on a Pokemon Go map. But Excel, like they as a fund knew we as a team pivoted a lot. And to stop us from pivoting a bunch, they gave us a seed and Series A offer. Okay, got it. So they got you kind of hyper focused on that one opportunity. Yeah. Uh, just the incest. Put in our next. Why? Literally, like it almost yeah. happened by an accident. There's so many stories out there, but like no, it was like almost an accident that it happened. Okay, no, that's cool. That's cool. And so, how did you actually meet Alex? Did, were you like friends from uh, university, yeah. or like, and then like, how did you convince each other that you guys were the right two pairs to build this uh, company? Yeah, so we had worked at Core together uh, as a product designer. He was an engineer. He did mostly backend engineering. I did a lot of frontend engineering and design. So it was kind of just a natural pairing. Like we were two young people. We kept in touch. And then when he went back to MIT and I was at Snap, we were just building projects together. Like we always talked about starting a company together. So then we're like, okay, cool. Let's just like build projects. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so if I'm a, if let, let's just say I'm kind of going out there. I want to build my company. Um, I don't know who my co-founder is today. What would you kind of say I should look for in a co-founder? Um, is there like a certain checklist I should be ticking off? Yeah, I think you should look for incredibly complementary skills. Um, so if you're non-technical, I would say find someone technical. It's going to make your life a lot easier and extends your runway significantly. Um, as in like you could probably work for 10 years um, and never run out of money if you guys both lived in a basement and ate ramen. Um, and if you are technical, then I would say the best co-founders to find are either like in marketing or in design because then with design, you get the product out. And with marketing, like it's kind of proven that if, people want the product they're willing to go through like bad ux bad ui um if they like want it enough um so yeah like obviously some products can't exist that way like superhuman is all ux ui but right. yeah, um, yeah. yeah like i think that only fans is a great example actually of horrible ux and ui where like you just need the product like people want to use the product so they're on it right okay that makes sense that makes sense um, and so throughout this journey, how, what was that first like customer? How did you get, you land your first customer? Like what's the story behind that? Definitely. Um, so you're not supposed to do this, but, um, YC has this like internal directory and I scraped the entire internal directory and then I sent out an email to every single one. I actually personalized every single one too. Um, and then, um, I just asked them like, Hey, we have this API for humans. Do you have any human tasks? Um, and I gave a list of examples we could do. And I was like, let your imagination go wild. Um, this is kind of what we learned, what people wanted us to build out too. I think B2B or enterprise is like hackable in that sense, where if you ping enough customers, figure out a price point, and there's enough customers out there that are willing to pay that price point, then you have a company. Because um, like if one company needs a solution, chances are other companies need that solution too. Um, so as an API for humans, we're like general enough. We're like, there was going to be something that like, other companies would pay for. Um, and then once Cruise came, Cruise was one of our first customers. We realized that there was just a huge market in the self-driving car um, niche and we really funneled in on that. It's interesting to see like the use case that you guys had originally and evolved over time. Um, do you think it's okay for uh, founders to pivot um, and find a different kind of solution? Because I find it that most early stage founders don't have the right solution from day one you have to adopt and adapt in the future. Um, at what point do you kind of convince yourself like, okay, it's time to pivot, time to find something else, and or is it time to yeah. just kill this whole thing entirely? I'm not the best person to ask this transparently because I think my answer is very biased based on how I do things. Um, and there are a lot of companies that would not exist based off of how I do things. But I say pivot in like two weeks. I think that like if you're doing consumer in two weeks, you can see very quickly if there's product market fit, like friends will be referring friends who will be referring friends of friends, et cetera. Like it usually like goes to third degree connections pretty organically like and very quickly on consumer. Um, and then on B2B enterprise, like you're going to get those LOIs, you're going to get customers like wanting to buy your product. Um, and then you're like, okay, cool. We have something. Um, and if you can't, like no one's willing to pay for it after you hop on sales calls, you probably don't have a product that people want either. 
And like I do complete pivots when I like realize that. So like with ClassPass or Clubbing, I was like, oh, it's reaching third degree connections. Realized it was just all VCs buying our product. Oh, to, wow. like, okay, they perfect. were like, you know, taking a look at us and seeing how we would do as founders. <laughs> uh, and then with Ava, it wasn't reaching those third degree connections. Um, it was just like friends downloading the app and playing around with it. So like immediately killed that too. Got it. Okay. So it's like kind of that classic saying like speed to execution also matters. So you kind of really pivot really quick. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And so you've made this eventual decision to kind of move on from scale AI. So like without getting into too many details here, like what, what made you convince yourself that it was the right time to try something? Yeah, I generally optimize for learning and I didn't really find B2B SaaS very interesting or enterprise interesting. Um, and then like a lot of my job was um, like managing a bunch of like outsourced workers, um, which wasn't very exciting as well. So like for those that don't know, scale, um, we're essentially a reinforcement learning for machine learning, right? But um, all that relies on humans and a lot of the humans are like, I was like, I built up this human team, but just like it wasn't very fun for me uh okay. it's like the best i can say um ah so decided like i want to do a new company uh i felt like my learning was not like increasing per se um in terms of like velocity so uh i knew i wanted to do a consumer company next uh had a friend quit stripe like pretty much the same day to join me to do a new company because he was like bugging me for months like hey when are you going to leave i want to do a company with you etc uh ended up like getting his job back at stripe because i didn't think we could build the next facebook and he okay. was very ambitious and wanted to do that okay um, but what's funny is that like we both decided like sort of start a new company at the same time and like i think we raised our rounds around the same time too for our new companies uh, but after that, I was like, okay, cool. What can I learn in that I haven't done yet? And that's actually how I got into venture. Because I was like, I've done like product management, product design, engineering, uh, founding the company, but I haven't done venture before. Um, so that was really fun. And then now I'm tackling, I think the hardest thing to build in startup land, okay. which is consumer. Got it. So yeah, talk to us about it. So you're building passes. Uh, uh, you know, we talked about it, loving all the early success that you guys are having right now. What's the aim in terms of what you're trying to solve and like uh, what inspired you to actually build out this specific solution? Yep. So I feel like creator economy was really lacking uh, in a lot of ways, um, both from like the startups that are founded in the creator economy to just like rules and regulations. So I'm friends with a lot of creators and I saw how they were struggling personally with like potentially losing out there on their entire income, right? Because of... Uh, maybe like getting banned um, or like one violation away yeah. from getting banned yeah. um, because they like accidentally said a swear word or like had background music playing that was copyrighted, et cetera. So I was like, okay, cool. Like fans definitely need ownership of everything they do. Um, I saw the power of Web3 in terms of interoperability. Um, we're both, I would say like our product is more Web 2.5. Like you don't notice it's Web3, but we have the power to be interoperable when the world comes to that. Um, which I'm still pretty bullish that it will, but if it doesn't, it's okay. Cause like our product still like works without that. Um, and then I saw the power of paywall platforms. Um, I think that there is huge opportunity in like grabbing your super fans and making them even closer to you. Because then when you have a concert, you know, that like, they're all going to be willing to show up for the concert. Uh, if you like launch a product line, they're all going to buy that product line, et cetera. Um, and thus like. The only like players in the space were OnlyFans, which is like mainly adult content. Um, and I thought they had the best built product out of all the ones out there, but there's just such a negative stigma that people weren't joining. And then there's Patreon that didn't really emphasize one-to-one -one relationships, I think. Like Patreon's definitely more one-to-many, but I think that you need to get this feeling of one-to-one, -one. like fans want to feel special um, to like really hone in on the uh, like benefits, I guess, of like your fandom. So built out this product that like really helps scale, I'd say like mass one-to-one -one relationships. Um, and because of that, it's been doing very, very well. Um, we've taken people from Patreon and all our other competitors at bare minimum, like 2Xing their revenue. But like the, we've taken someone from Patreon that like was making $515 a month and now does 30K a month. Um, from other competitors, they were making 2K a month and did 30K in three weeks. We launched two people last week from two separate competitors um, that they were doing like 8K a month. And now she's at 30K for one week. And then another that was doing 
um, 5K a month on another competitor, and she's at 25K in a week. Um, and then another person from another competitor we launched five days ago who was doing, uh, what was it, 5K a month, and she is at, I believe, 10K as of, like, five days, yeah. So, like, the I think the creator economy is actually, like, the TAM is much larger than people think, but they were monetizing off of exclusive content, and it's really so much more than just exclusive content. I never thought of it that way. Um, how are those like super fans finding passes? Is it the creator actually promoting yep. the fact that they've transferred over kind of thing? Yep. So the creator's promoting it. Um, they just, you know, put up an Instagram story, link in bio. Um, some people do TikTok lives, IG lives. Those are the people that always do the best because it takes more effort, but they'll be able to convert more people over. Um, but yeah, it's like pretty incredible, honestly. When it comes to like exclusive content, most people think of like the adult version or the OnlyFans. Yeah. Um, and that's the only kind of paywall version uh, that most people refer to. And obviously mm -hmm. there's creators that make millions on it. Um, so is like, what's your end goal with um, passes and the kind of what you want to create? Um, yeah, I guess long story short, um, I want to own their long-term wealth. But I think the first step is to get them the wealth. Uh, I think creators are essentially all entrepreneurs. Um, and there's a lot of potential that isn't being captured, uh, especially if they don't have good managers. So you can think of us as like almost the like manager for a creator where like our first job is make them like a crap ton of money. And our second yeah. job is build like long-term wealth, build up their brand, et cetera. So we're building a lot more tools to be able to do this. Okay. Can, can I almost say like you're kind of building like a VSAS infrastructure on top of? Sure. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I've always like thought of it that way. Um, and so when it comes to actually hiring for an early stage team, uh, what kind of qualities and skills are you looking for when hiring? Yeah, so um, I think work-life balance is like non-existent pre like Series B, to be honest. So um, like most of my team were in office till like 10 p.m., 11 p.m. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I need people that like are can work those hours without burnout. <laughs> I mean, like anyone would burn out in like five years of doing that. But I think that like if you're talking about like one, two years, it it's possible. Um, or maybe. Like, it, I think it's just really hard. Um, the only founders that I see that are, like, able to get away with doing less hours are those that have a ton of experience. Like, let's say they built, like, three successful startups and they're able to immediately hire a team around them. Right. Um, yes. But that also burns more money. And I'm, like, a very cash efficient, I'd say, as a founder. Um, I also just look for, like, if they're the very best at what they do, obviously. Um, so like, I have a pretty good sense for design. Um, like I interviewed hundreds of designers, it feels like, and ended up hiring one person. Um, uh, I guess I hired a total of two product designers. If you count like one other designer that didn't pass my interview, but we really needed another designer. So I offered him a contract position and I'm now trying to convince him to go full time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cause he, he grew a lot. Like he was just like this, he never went to college. He was just a little dropout kid that just like okay. has incredible learning capacity. Right. So yeah, that was really quick. I definitely regret not hiring him full time. <laughs> and then, um, with engineering, like I, I did go over to CMU, which is like tied for first in CS with a bunch of colleges. I have a good sense. I don't think I'm the best engineer ever, but I managed to hire people that were the best. And now when they interview, they have incredibly high standards. Right. And so it's basically you have this like really kind of innate ability of understanding deeply of like what these roles need to accomplish and execute mm -hmm. on. And so you're kind of taking your experience and applying yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. That, like I've right? interviewed some of the best engineers in my life. I have worked as an engineer. I've worked as a product designer with, I think, the best designers in the world. So uh, I've gotten an eye for like what good looks like. Right. Okay. And if I'm a founder who doesn't have your skill sets per se, Let's just say I'm like more of an ops or marketing founder um, and like I'm the first founder. Um, how do I make that decision of, hey, who's a good engineer? Who's a good designer? How, what, what, what makes Yeah, uh, The best thing I can say is reference checks. Um, like if you reference checks a bunch of people and see um, if like very well-respected people enjoyed working with them and if they were actually productive and talented, that's good. Always do it in, like within like the direct managers or direct reports though. Because if you ask someone else, like they're not really going to know. They might just like the person as a human being, right? Um, so I think that's really important. Um, I generally think controversial people, like if it comes back as polarizing, I would actually ignore the polarizing feedback because if you have a subset of people that like really love that person, 
they might have been like maybe a harder personality to work with, but still extremely talented. Like maybe they're good IC, but not a good management. I don't know. Um, but I've found that generally works fairly well. Um, like, for example, I don't know anything about marketing. Um, I have no, I, I'll probably just need to like ping a bunch of people and figure that out. Right. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So just try to execute on what you know and then utilize resources to get yeah. feedback and kind of grow from there. Uh, cool. So one of the sections that I try to introduce in this podcast is like kind of like real life news, something that's happening in the news. And mm -hmm. it seems like on Twitter and LinkedIn today, all that's kind of being talked about is uh, gen generative AI, so chat GPT mm -hmm. and whatnot. So what are your thoughts on like AI in general and its impact on innovation, on the economy as a whole, uh, but also on the flip side, kind of looking at, say, the average person? and their fear of displacement within the economy, specifically their jobs being lost and stuff like that. There's going to be a lot of innovation. I understand that. But how do we counter some of the effects of like the average Joe? Do we have to kind of retrain them? Yeah, I would say the average Joe should like will probably need to be retrained. I don't think like certain jobs are going to be replaced. So, for example, and I think this came out also where ChatGPT was able to um, diagnose a disease, um, like a super rare disease, one in 100,000. But... The thing is, like, doctors will still exist because, A, there's going to be legalities if, like, ChatGP is wrong, right? Which is why, like, with self-driving cars, it's not out because, like, we need to deal with legal stuff, blah. Um, but also, you don't want a, like, AI assistant being like, oh, yeah, like, diagnosing you, you have cancer. Like, that's not great. Certain news should always come from a human. Um, I think there's going to be, like, I really do see AI as just really enhancing people's jobs and making them better at their jobs. Um, like if you are in the top point oh 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 one percent, your job will probably still be there. Um, if you're an average Joe, uh, I think that like new jobs are going to be created that we don't even know about. Like, for example, like I'm sure jobs are going to open around like just ethics, right? Like we're probably going to need AI ethics. Uh, reinforcement learning is still huge and like will be needed for a long time. So like the average Joe could become a labeler um, and just like start helping label data. Um, and providing ground truths. Um, there, there'll be a number of new jobs. I think that like certain jobs like machine learning, data science, CS will continue growing um, in numbers. Um, but yeah, if they want to stay like ahead of the curve, I would start getting technical. <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway, I think a thousand tech executives signing this, uh, I think it was a petition or something on slowing down AI's progress. Uh, I guess there's, a, again, that whole fear mongering that exists with AI just because it's such a new innovation and we've seen how strongly and fast it's grown. I will say I'm a little split on this. Um, for example, like if AI wanted to create a horrible disease, uh, it is probably possible. <laughs> but uh, also on that end, I think that a lot of the people that are trying to stop this are people whose companies are going to be affected by AI. Because they were, they are behind the race. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I always think of this one. Uh, well, I, I usually go back to the Google reference of like Google's, uh, I guess, directly being impacted by this now with Microsoft kind of mm -hmm. investing heavily in ChatGPT. Yeah. And so I, I wonder what their next play is because I don't think Bard is as good. So it's interesting to uh, think about what's what's coming next and like the poli the politicized kind of environment that also exists in tech which I, I feel like not many individuals think about. Uh, at the end of mm -hmm. the day, you're dealing with business money. And so um, there's obviously self-interest somewhere uh, that drives each decision. So uh, yeah, that's a good point. That's a very valid point. Um, and so if I'm thinking of working in AI, um, of course, it's Cerebral Valley. I can go to Silicon Valley and figure things out, perhaps just learn a little bit there. But what are other resources and or actions I should be taking to learn more effectively today? Yeah, I mean, there's tons of online courses, but honestly, I think if you're like an average show, let's say trying to get in it, I would really just get creative. Think about how AI can help you and get ahead of the curve. Because um, like chances are you could build a hackathon project. I, I'm just going to give a few examples. Um, so I had a friend, Jackson, who literally just decided to use ChatGPT to ask like, okay, cool. Like I'm giving you a hundred dollars, make me the most profitable business ever. Um, and ChatGPT CEO did it, right? That could probably be spun up into a company where you just help people build e-commerce businesses. Uh, if like you're a lawyer, like ChatGPT can easily read legal documents better than like, and faster than most lawyers. Um, 
you can imagine that like if someone else could spin it up in hackathon like probably but if you're ahead of the curve and like do a lot of reinforcement learning etc like then you'll have an advantage uh -uh. i generally think like if you can get creative on like how it can help your current job you probably already have a company out there because there's other people with your jobs uh, and you should just stay ahead of the curve and chat gbt and asking it directly can probably help you stay ahead of the curve um, yeah, also so just learn to code because then you can figure out how to like actually build okay it. okay yeah. okay yeah was, that was gonna be my next point i was like do you have to be the greatest coder or like have to learn how to code because yeah. i guess you can still ask the system to give me the kind of code and the output it's not going to be as effective but you know is it possible um right now i can code pretty simple things so like if you ask to scrape twitter it'll do that it's not going to like code an entire website for you <laughs> yeah 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 so it's just simple basic kind of things yeah uh, makes makes sense all right so let's get into like more of the personal side of things um one thing i found really interesting about yourself is like how authentic you are uh, across all your socials and just being you uh, so I found that really interesting. Um, generally speaking, the most folks, uh, at least executives, I feel in tech, pretty guarded and kind of protect their certain, like to a certain image. So why do you feel like you're different and how do you stay true to yourself and kind of continually stay authentic? I don't know. I've always been a bad liar. So <laughs> I think that's why uh, I'm just authentic. Like I don't want to be another person. Uh, I'm very happy and confident with myself. So if I say something that offends a bunch of people that don't like, I kind of just shrug it off. Like to me, like I have so many amazing people around me. Like I have the best friends, my family loves me, et cetera. Like there's nothing to really be sad about. Um, and I think that like anything that I put online that accidentally gets taken the wrong way, um, so much, like everyone in real life, like actually adores me. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm very bubbly and happy as a human being. So, uh, like, that just, I think, in general helps. Like, I don't think about my haters at all. I also have the mentality where it's like, okay, cool. Um, if someone is, like, upset and, like, it's, like, you know, hate tweeting me every single thing I do, um, like, or hate replying to me, I don't know who that person is. Like, they're obsessed. It's this one-sided obsession. Um and then outside of that, I think that like sometimes I actually purposely think about how to make my tweet more polarizing because I think that I, I kind of think in the like all that press is good press um, mentality, um, especially for, like what I'm doing um, when it comes to like hiring, um, when it comes to um, like acquiring creators, when it comes to getting investments, et cetera. Like generally whatever I put out does get a lot of views because I have such a polarizing personality. Um, and not only does it get me views, I close people because of it. Um, and I can go more into that, but it's like, if you have like a, a star engineer who has 20 offers and you're well likable, yeah. they're not going to choose you. They're going to choose a higher software. If they're a super fan of you because you're that polarizing, they will take huge pay cuts to work with you. And I've had several people do that. Uh, and that's probably one reason why I have been able to get to where I am because I've consistently been able to hire the best people or convince the best people to take my money when I like wanted to invest in something, et cetera. Yeah, no, no, that's, and that's the vibes I get from you every single yeah. time I see your tweet. It's just like super clear, super authentic. It's just you, right? Yeah. So let me ask you like maybe the flip side now, I've, cause I've experienced this with the, some leaders and like, I guess some folks have talked about this as well, uh, through their experiences of like an individual portraying themselves as some, someone else online and then the real person is someone different. Um, do you feel like eventually those leaders and organizations uh, let down the entire company at one point? Or, like early stage, you can probably scale to a certain point, mm -hmm. but I guess culture is important to an organization. Like how does that impact eventually being kind of like fake? Uh, a fake um, I'm going to be completely honest here. I don't think it necessarily impacts it that well. Like they might not build the best culture, but sometimes the best culture doesn't like need the like most empathetic CEO. In fact, a lot of investors I know actually have a thesis where like they want to invest in sociopaths. The be reason being that it, they actually make like decent CEOs. Um, the hypothesis here, and to be frank, like I prefer investing in empathetic people. Um, but to be frank, then that's what these which makes sense is that like they're able to be extremely calculated and remove emotions from everything. So it's like when you like hire your best friend and you need to fire them, they're able to do that very, very quickly um, and make strategies based off of like 
just completely emotional strategies, which like most human beings would add emotion to it, which is like not the best when it comes to business decisions. Um, so yeah, like one feedback I actually get as founder, like okay. I, I obviously take founder or feedback from all my employees. Um, like the main negative point or the only negative point really was um, that I can get emotional about decisions uh, and that does not make me a good CEO or it's my biggest weakness that I need to like stop doing. Um, so in that sense, like, yeah, someone can be a complete asshole, but like be perfect online and like run a great company. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. What's the toughest decision you've made that you feel like emo if emotion didn't exist, it would have been a better kind of outcome? Um. I think it had a lot to do with scale, to be honest. Um, I think that was like very emotional with um, just like everything, um, like employees that were like best friends that like were underperforming, employees that were overperforming, but like depressed about the culture, uh, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess it's, uh, there's ebbs and flows with every company, right? So yeah. it depends. Um, and so the other thing I noticed is you travel quite a bit and have a lot of fun doing that. So I'd love to kind of understand maybe what is like the most rewarding, say, eye-opening experience that you had while traveling? And as you reflect on those experiences, you apply any of those cultural kind of learnings into any of your entrepreneurial uh, endeavors? Yeah, I think when I'm traveling, I just meet all sorts of different people. So um, in South Africa, I'd say that like, hey, like it was a really like kind of crazy seeing the wealth dichotomy um, where like one side of the street was like, all rich people on the other side of the street everyone was living in shacks but i also had met a lot of people that like entrepreneurship like literally the internet was help what helped them like move out of poverty um i think another experience and this is like maybe why i want to do what i want to do long term um is that in china once i was like followed around with a knife next to my neck in like a really sketchy area of china and i was just like the fuck and then uh, my parents would like take me to this like place in china where like kids were just like all amputated and um, they would tell me like, yeah, like those kids were all kidnapped and um, the like kidnappers amputated them and put them on the street to beg for money. Um, so don't give them money because it's only going to like their kidnappers. Um, so like essentially human trafficking, right? Um, and I mean, I to this day don't know if what my parents said was true or not, but it like really hit me seeing like all that. And they would take me to these places daily, basically. Uh, I mean, like we were visiting sketch parts of China, I guess. Yeah, but, yeah. Like, that was just like, oh my God to me. So um, in entrepreneurship, like obviously I'm really excited about what I'm building right now. So I think it is a way to like have people be entrepreneurs. We're taking creators with like no followers at all, essentially. And like, making them life-changing money. Um, we're paying people's rents. We're improving their lifestyles, et cetera. And we have so many stories of like people telling us this, like pretty much every single one of our creators is like, you, this is the more money that I made in my entire life. And that is like a direct quote from not just one that tweeted it out, but like several. Yeah. Um, but then long-term, I've always wanted to like start a human non or human trafficking nonprofit. Um, or if I end up being really bad at nonprofits, like donating a bunch of money to one uh, because it. like of that experience. Like for me, I'm like, okay, drug isn't drugs are the number one crime in the world, but human trafficking is the number two. Drugs suck, but like it's kind of by choice, like when you first start at least, versus like human trafficking, you're like taking children who have no yeah. say. And like to me, that's probably the most disgusting crime that someone can do. Right. Yeah. So no, that's that's very powerful. And I appreciate you kind of inspiring to do a lot for the world and making it a better place. And I love how you're kind of utilizing some of those that mission value and applying it to some of the work that you're doing as well. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely powerful and we need more entrepreneurs like you <laughs> uh, to kind of uh, build that stuff out. So uh, last part of the podcast here, it's uh, more philosophical. Um, so one thing I'd love to understand is like, what is the hardest part knowing that you are super successful and what do people get wrong about? I think as my success has increased, I become more confident. And people definitely think I have turned like into an arrogant asshole. Um, maybe I have like on my internet persona because I just like obviously give no fucks anymore. But yeah. I do think that like I'm a pretty friendly person. Like, for example, my building, I know all the employees in my building think I'm the nicest human being ever because they're like, I'm the only one that treats them like a human. Um, because I like I didn't come from like a super wealthy family. 
Um, and like for me, I have like friends from all different socioeconomic backgrounds I'm homies with. So um, yeah, like I think that people think I'm not that grounded. Um, maybe I'm not. I don't. I think I'm grounded. Maybe I'm not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And here's a maybe I guess a, uh, to add on to that. There's a, obviously the, this is more political, I guess, but um, there's a lot of debate whether you should be, you know, rich folks are, they have this certain moniker, kind of this certain image. And I, I revert back to this, like this whole Howard Schultz experience that you just mm -hmm. had. Um, and it talked about the word billionaire and you shouldn't be a billionaire, but he's also self-made. Uh, he, he's yeah. a really poor individual. And so do you feel like, um, do you feel guilty ever or should a person who is successful ever feel guilty? about that success because others have less? No, I don't think so. Um, I mean, they didn't choose to be uh, born into a wealthy family. Like, that's not their yeah. fault. Uh, and, hey, they took that wealth and just, like, created more wealth, right? Like, I think life is unfair. And I personally think that, like, one of the reasons, like, the world nowadays promotes victim mentality, and I wouldn't yeah. get here today yeah. if I had victim mentality. Uh, so for me, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, they got a head start. Awesome. Good for them. Like, I had a friend who was too guilty to take his trust fund and he wanted to do it on his own. And I'm like, I mean, that's cool, but just take your trust fund, get a head start and like make more money and do bigger things. Um, it's kind of crazy. I think that like we as society have made people feel so guilty for being born into money. Like it is literally not their fault. And another thing is that if these people are like, um, I guess like they want to impact the world in a good way, like, you might as well let them have a head start, make more money, and then be able to donate more money yeah. over time. Yeah. <laughs> like, then, then it'll just impact the world even more. I, I, I've never really understood it um, personally. Yeah. Yeah. It seems just to be more of a Western thing. You don't really see this in like Eastern parts of the world. It's, yeah. Uh, you kind of build it and then they actually. And I think that's because the West promotes victim mentality, personally. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I ever let like, oh my God, I'm a woman and that's why be the reason that I couldn't get a position and I just gave up, like I literally wouldn't be anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And I think, yeah, for any individual, I feel like take advantage of what you have. Like I always go back yeah. to this. Like the world idea. isn't fair, but you just yeah. have to take what you have and make the best of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, in your opinion, the pressure on young folks today and for example, putting themselves into this idea of they have to be successful or acquire a certain image. Like, let's just take Gen Z's, for example. They all want to be YouTube stars or like TikTok stars. Um, what is your opinion on putting too much pressure on you too early? Or is that a thing in your mind? Oh, this is tough. Because I think that success can come at a very, very late age. And you see this. Some people just build wealth more slowly. Um, that being said, I think that doing it young is easier. Because I have no responsibilities outside of my professional career right now. Like, it's not like I have kids running around, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that, like, realistically, um, they have the best chance doing it young. So she would probably work their hardest while they're young. But if it comes later, that's fine. And if it does come later, just know that like it will be harder to do because you have like family to take care of. Uh, but if you're old without family, then energy levels, out. if you keep yeah. your energy levels high, it's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I have a couple of friends that are older and kind of single and they just do yeah. their thing, but they're happy with it. That's their lifestyle choice. No issues there at all. Yeah. Right? So uh, that's all of them. And last question, uh, before we get to our lightning round, what do you want to be remembered for? Yeah, ideally, uh, I actually think I want to be remembered in a nonprofit space, I think. Um, like, I think Bill and Melinda Gates, like, their last seen legacy isn't going to be uh, Microsoft. It's going to be that foundation and everything that it has done for the world. Um, and I, like, maybe I won't have my own foundation because I ended up being really shitty at creating a foundation and running a foundation. But um, I, like, I think it'd be really cool to even just have like a few people say like, oh, yeah, like she helped me out after I was trafficked or she prevented me from getting trafficked. Um, it's always been just like the long term goal. Um, but other than that, like, I guess making a lot of people really wealthy, <laughs> like creating entrepreneurs in the world because I've like grown up on entrepreneurship. 
And I literally have encouraged so many people to quit their jobs and just like do it. And every single time someone comes to me and it's like, you're the reason I started my company and it's doing really well. It always like brings me a really big smile on my face. Yeah, no, that's so awesome. I, I really love that. I love, again, through this whole experience, you just had a smile on your face. So you can really reflect on the fact that you are that bubbly individual. You are that lively individual and you do truly want to make an impact. So I uh, really appreciate the experience sitting with you today, Lucy. Um, one thing we always love ending off with is just three quick questions, a little lightning round. So I'll ask these questions, then you have a couple of seconds to answer each one. Let me cool. know when Sounds you're ready. Good. All right, cool. Ready. Um, if you were to have dinner with one person dead or alive, who would that be? Mm, so I actually think this would probably be Hitler. And the reason being, I want to stop him from committing the Holocaust. Um, it probably wouldn't be successful, but you know what? I can try. Very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, best piece of advice you have ever received? Hmm. I think it was to optimize for learning because um, someone told me that and I was like, wow, like um, that has carried me throughout my entire life. Um, and I think if I never optimize, if I optimized something else outside of learning, um, I wouldn't have hit my like lucky mile points at like every single step of my life. Um, and maybe that would have been okay. And I would have just had a different path, but still mm -hmm. ended up here. But right. uh, I'm very grateful for what I have right now. Awesome. Awesome. Um, favorite book or movie of all time? Ooh. I just read, um, I believe it's called The Founders. Um, so that's just like top of mind right now. Um, just because, so it was recommended to me. It's about like the PayPal mafia. And it was probably the book that I've learned the most from. I've generally avoided self-help or like, not self-help, like, you know, the advice books. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, because I have never learned a single thing from it. I'm like, I already knew all this. So it was like, how to make friends or whatever that book is called. I was like, this is boring. Like, I know all this. Uh, but like, founder specifically, like, taught me a bunch on strategy. Yeah. Got it. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely take a look. Uh, the one I always refer back to is zero to one. I felt like that was mm -hmm. my inception into tech, uh, I guess yeah. you can say, uh, as it is for most people. And last question here. Do you like pineapple on your pizza? Yes or no? Absolutely not. Okay. Okay. We're on the same team there. We have a running count. So uh, I think it's like overwhelmingly a no. Uh, okay. That's good. We want crazy. <laughs> yeah. Especially my Italian friends there. They, they like me for that. So um, awesome. So Lucy, any last words for our audience, maybe where they can find you and um, if they want, if they're creators, how they can uh, access passes. Yeah. If you're a creator, um, just email me at lucy at passes.com and um, we'll get a conversation going. And otherwise, just hit me up on Twitter. 